Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Welcome to Radio Islam. This is your host, Tariq el and we are broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM, and we're streaming at WCEV1450.com. Now, if you happen to miss the live stream or you miss us on AM radio, you can always go to wherever you get your podcasts. We are on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, and TuneIn. You'll find us at Radio Islam USA. And also, make sure that you are connected to us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at that same username, at Radio Islam USA. And last but not least, make sure that you... That's right, I'm giving you a lot of stuff to make sure that you do. Stop by RadioIslam.com. There you can check out guest picks, bios, and just info that you're not going to see anywhere else. Stay connected to the Radio Islam family. All right, folks, I am really happy to have joining me on the line the one and only Layla Abdullah-Poulos, Radio Islam culture contributor, managing editor and founder of NBA Muslims, trainer with Muslim Anti-Racism Collaborative, adjunct college professor, literary critic, writing coach, I can go on and on and on, right? And then, but I've got to say, best-selling author of the interracial romance novel, My Way to You, which I read, which was absolutely uh, phenomenal. Go to Amazon, get yours, check it out. Assalamu alaikum, Layla. I'm also the contributor for About Islam, thehodhijab.com. See, see, so. with with all of that, and I still leave, <laughs> I still leave, I probably left, I probably left out more than that, right? But so, <laughs> So you're a contributor with um, About Islam as well. AboutIslam.net and Hold Hijab. Okay, Hold okay. Hijab. Okay, so you know what? We're actually going to, I'm going to circle back around to that um, before we are done today because I want to talk a bit about um, Hold Hijab uh, as well for folks who may not be aware um, about of that platform. But before we get into that, we have to talk about an event that I am really I'm jealous that I missed it. Uh, the Black Muslim Authors Roundtable. You, this is this is some this is your brainchild. Uh, you planned, promoted, moderated uh, a dynamic uh, panel, and uh, from what I've seen on social media, uh, the responses have been overwhelmingly uh, not just positive, but folks like me can't wait for 2020. So talk to, first. So first, congratulations on a successful uh, event. Alhamdulillah, indeed. And, uh, and and just tell us about it for those of us who missed it. Right, we couldn't make it to NY. Tell us uh, how this all came about. Tell us about it. Wherever you want to start. Well, Black Muslim Authors was actually the vision of the author Jawaria, who is the founder of Muslim Girls Read. Okay, a wonderful organization that raises funds to provide Muslim-authored and Muslim-centered books for Islamic schools in urban cities. And, well, in urban environments, because urban is city. And so she contacted me at NBA Muslims, and you know how I do. So I'm ready. I'm like, that's a wonderful. Let's do it. Right. <laughs> Let's get it going. And... um. We didn't have a whole lot of time, and there were we were a little worried about some things, but alhamdulillah, it, you know, Allah was very merciful 
because uh, at first our, our first venue dropped on us, just that we couldn't do it there. And I reached out to um, ICNYU, the Islamic Center at New York University, and they were very gracious, and they said, yes, they would host the event, organization mm-hmm. uh, like Muslim Anti-Racism Collaborative, and host hijab, also co-sponsored the event. And people, the, we were very, very fortunate that uh, Imam Alameen uh, Latif from the New York Majlis Ashura agreed to speak there, gave a wonderful speech, as well as Imam Suhaib Webb with New York University and Khalil Ismail, who when he said yes, I just, I was over the moon because he is such a foundational force when mm-hmm. it comes to Amer- black American Muslim creatives, and I think Muslim creatives, period. So we had three phenomenal speakers. Umjuari gave a, a, a wonderful speech. All their speeches are on the ICNYU uh, YouTube um, page, and also I'll be posting them on NBA Muslims. And we had this fabulous roundtable. Oh, my goodness. Mm. Who, that roundtable was fire. Now, who was, in the, who was at the roundtable? <laughs> yeah, tell us who we got sitting at this table. Okay, so... It was Uma Jawaria, mm-hmm. phenomenal author, phenomenal author, great book. We did her book, Tried and Tested. Mm-hmm. And um, also she has written children's books and other Muslim urban fiction. She's a spoken word poet, just phenomenal. Can I interrupt we, uh, you? We had, can I, mm-hmm. can I inter- interrupt really, really quickly for those of you who did not get to hear our interview with Uma Jawaria? Go back, look, look, look in the crates, right? Look in the SoundCloud, the Apple Podcast crates, and find the interview. I really enjoyed um, uh, uh, speaking with her uh, as everything that you are saying. Yeah. Just absolutely so. And then we've also talked about some of her work as well, right? So, yes. Yes. We did a discussion about tried and tested and the layers of domestic violence. Yeah. So so go back in the crates and, and, yeah, check it out. Check it out. Okay. You've got the floor. Okay. So we had Um Jawaria. We had Sakina Rashid with Muslim Writers and Publishers mm-hmm. and Halima De La Vera. Okay. And she is an author of uh, Not Without Many Hijab. She has a children's book version and an inspirational And she has a play, Not Without My Hijab, that has been, I think, in five states, but she's going, she's shooting for all 50 of them. Oh, wow. And she has workshops. I mean, she has workshops and everything. It was just, we had uh, this, this, this dynamic group of black Muslim women authors uh, in fiction and in nonfiction and uh, who have professional development services like um, uh, Muslim Writers and Publishers Association. And so I was lucky enough to moderate it. Mm. And I, I used Toni Morrison as my base for the questions, I asked them three questions. And because Toni Morrison just uh, celebrated at the 80th birthday, and so there were a lot of interviews and everything with her. And so I started to just really like look at her work, look at where Black Muslim authorship is, and how Black Muslim authors are actually beneficiaries of the African American literary tradition. Mm. of which Toni Morrison is a huge part of. Right. And so I based it off of that. And so we I asked questions about mainstream, about the mainstream. We kind of deconstructed that, uh, about self-publishing versus traditional publishing, about uh, 
challenges that black Muslim authors and black Muslim authors uh, face both in inside and outside of Muslim publishing, uh, how it can be very, very um, unwelcoming, a lot of gatekeeping there, and really centered towards certain types of fiction and uh, deriding other types of fiction. Are you saying and that, are you saying, Layla, I'm sorry, are you saying that gatekeeping that exists, that is in uh, your traditional publishing houses as opposed to Muslim ones, or is it in both? Oh, in addition. Oh, in addition addition. to. Okay. It's actually in both, and black Muslim authors may find themselves in a vice. Mm -hmm. So with traditional Eurocentric and the people that actually make the decisions. I'm sorry. Restate. I'm sorry. Restate. So traditional black Muslim authors may find themselves in this vice in when it comes to non-Muslim traditional publishing and Muslim traditional publishing or indie pubs as well, because mostly it's in, in indie pubs. They're small presses in Muslim publishing. They're not like the big five. Mm-hmm. And so outside of the culture and traditional publishing, they will face the same things that many authors of color face because Traditional publishing tends to be very Eurocentric. The people that make the decisions tend to come from very specific backgrounds. And so it is difficult for them to kind of glean and understand and appreciate where the the different ways that authors may express themselves, depending on their standpoint that they're coming from, their background, how they choose to express themselves. So mm-hmm. Toni Morrison was one an example of someone that just kind of didn't care and did her thing. And <laughs> she became very successful at it, but she didn't care. And uh, in, in Muslim, when it comes to Muslim publishing, there is generally this uh, perfect type of author that they want. And that is someone that is writing extremely obviously about Muslims. Mm-hmm. Usually children's books authors and YA are chosen. I'm talking about fiction, not nonfiction. I'm centering on fiction. Children's books authors and YA are usually chosen. And so anyone writing outside of that may have an issue. And so adult fiction is, it's very, very hard to get your adult fiction published. And especially if your adult fiction has certain elements in it that I call it selective sensibilities mm-hmm. that someone who is choosing kind of takes issue with. And so Muslims, they find themselves in that kind of vice where their voices are not appreciated by either traditional non-Muslim publishing or Muslim publishing as well. And mm-hmm. so we had an opportunity to discuss that and discuss how it is uh, authors can um, maintain confidence in the work that they're doing and get their voices out there. Mm. And we mm-hmm. no, I was going to say, were there were there any uh, representation from from publishers? There were publishers there. There were small press publishers there. I tend not to when they approached me. I really to Sakina Rashid with Muslim writers and publishers okay. because I self published by choice. Not right. because I don't have a I don't have a choice. Some people, uh, you know, there's this misconception that every author that self-publishes is because they couldn't find a publisher. 
which is very far from the truth. There's a growing authorship of mm-hmm. self-publishing authors who've decided to publish their books for themselves to get their voices out there and really not to deal with the publishing industry, except at certain levels. Some authors do both. Right. Know, some authors self-publish and also have a publisher. There are very famous authors that started off as in self-published, and then they have some work in traditional publishing as well. Um, so I, there's just this misconception that every self-published author is just really kind of looking for a publisher. I'm not really looking for a publisher. Right. I like self-publishing. I like having my voice out there. There are challenges to it, but ultimately I like being the one that's in control of my voice and my authorship and, and the decision-making that I make, and I'm perfectly willing to take the brunt of mm-hmm. criticism for it and so there's just really this growing there are growing amount of authors that are doing that i mean even it was there was just an article barnes and noble is going to start carrying self-published authors because usually self-published authors amazon has a huge they can they have the lion's share when it comes to that right and they're making a lot of money but doesn't but doesn't <laughs> that make sense with us being in this digital age that we would see um, uh, uh, something similar to what what's going on with music also taking place uh, when it comes yeah. to you know to, to authors. Um, you know, you don't have to have a label now to get your 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 creative uh, vision, you know, your product out there. So well, yes, it's interesting because that 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 is actually used as an example many times with the music industry and the digital age and how. There are a lot of uh, entertainers who are, who are getting their, their, their building their platform up, mm-hmm. and they're not using a label. They're not using a label, and um, that there's definitely a lot of authors that are, are growing in popularity, and they have their their fan base, right. and they're selling their books, and they're doing it independently. I think one of the things that's kind of keeping that from happening is this. It's really this this, this uh, idea among authors that you need a publisher to validate you, to validate you as an author. So you'll see a lot of times, and this is among Muslim authors as well. I'm just going to be honest about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, this uh, condescension to self-published authors that traditionally published authors have. They may premise, "Well, I'm a traditionally published author. Well, I have an author. I have a literary agent." You know, mm-hmm. a lot of self-published authors just see that as people that you that that you're sharing your money with, honestly. Because <laughs> these folks are in your pockets. <laughs> yeah, it's okay it's in your pocket. I mean, by the time you get, you know, sometimes the world your royalty share is very very low, uh, depending on um, the publisher. If you're using literary kit and everything like that, but again, that's not really my wheelhouse. I don't really deal with that at all. I'm really a, a, a self-published author. I mean, I do have short stories with a in an indie publisher, mm-hmm. and um, I am working on an anthology uh, with uh, with Ron Reiki and Yasir Morsi for Wayne State University Press. So it's not that I think that publishing is the big bad monster. Not Totally. <laughs> but I mean, authors need to make their decision and to and to have this cultural uh, idea that somehow a self-published author is not as good an author or is uh, is it validated an author because the publisher hasn't done it. 
you know, that's just really something held within among authors themselves. Mm-hmm. And really among authors who publish, it's just kind of like this facade that, that some of them, not all of them, some of them don't care, uh, mm-hmm. put on. But, you know, readers don't care. Right. If, oh, if you're self-published care. or not. No, they don't care. Yeah, there no, are a lot no. of public, self-published authors that have a huge, that have very, very solid fan base bases, and their, their fans are waiting for the next book, waiting for the next book, waiting for the next book, like that. So it's just like, it's just like this idea. So you have to kind of decide what it is that you wanted to do. Want to do. I just, I had seen so many things, challenges that, as when I was a, a well, I still am, but my beginning work as a literary critic and, and talking to authors and watching what's going on in the industry. When I decided to publish my first novel, I decided that I wanted to do it uh, to, to self-pub. I had been approached by publishers and uh, small press mm-hmm. and everything like that, but I just really decided I wanted to do myself. And, you know, I was given the advice by uh, my editor and other people who I respect in the industry we're just really like, listen, you have a, a, a platform, you have already have a platform yourself, put your work out there. And when I did on a premiere weekend, my way to you hit four Amazon bestseller lists. Wow. <laughs> so I'm really love. Yes. Wow. <laughs> yeah. It hit four Amazon bestseller lists for a couple of weeks, which is unheard of mm-hmm. for a beginning, for an author's first book. So I was very, very happy about that, alhamdulillah. And, you know, I'm, I'm working on the next book. I, I, it was a good decision for me. It's not a good decision for every author. Right. And, they, and, and authors need to kind of, like, come to those decisions. So that was something we talked about on the roundtable. And we also talked about supporting each other, which becomes very, very important. And some, some good conversations came out about that. So the, and during the Q&A, the readers just loved it. The, the attendees just loved it. They loved the fact that we were there and we were centering black Muslim authorship and writers mm-hmm. and their voices. And, you know, a couple of times, you know, the, the, the discussion got very, very vibrant. At one time, I told uh, Sakina Rashid, who uh, was Muslim writers and publishers, you know, Martin needed his Malcolm, so I'll be your Malcolm. <laughs> <laughs> you can be the diplomatic one. Uh, you could be the diplomatic wife, okay? Because she gets to a lot. She 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 navigates between a lot of different authors and writers, uh, traditionally published, indie pub, self pub, and everything like that, and a lot of different backgrounds. So she has to be very diplomatic because she wants the service is for everyone, okay? I don't have to be that diplomatic. So we kind of it, it was so funny because both women got on her, at the edge of her seat. <laughs> <laughs> And it's because things got real. Things got real at that point. <laughs> it's just, it was really, and uh, a lot of people came up to all of us mm-hmm. and said, I'm a writer. Thank you so much. I'm so glad that you had this. There were uh, black writers. There were uh, not all Muslim, non-Muslim uh, writers approached me. Non-black Muslim writers approached me and talked to me. They were really, really happy about it. One woman was in tears. And she said they were tears of joy. She had driven up, and she was so happy that she did. Wow. Okay, so it's just really, I mean, everyone was on a high, and, 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 and readers were snatching up books <laughs> left <laughs> and right and taking pictures and everything. And the turnout was actually very good for an inaugural event. I was surprised. 
at the number of people that attended. And so it was really, really great. It was a really, really great thing. And we were asked to do another one. And Halima de la Guerra said on the mic, don't make it. Don't make a year go by. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So she used to before 2020. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) So we're looking to we're looking at some some other cities. Mm-hmm. Uh, outside of New York, we're looking to take it to other cities and, and things like that. So I'll keep you abreast as to what's going on. And I mean, the biggest issue is venue. So if you and your lovely wife, <laughs> we got a, hey, we can get you a venue. We can get a venue. Yeah, that's, that's the biggest <laughs> issue. I would love to come to Chicago. Yeah, you, you just love let it, us know. It. You let us know when you're ready Chicago to come. Was popping. I went to Chicago when I, I presented at the uh, Popular Cultural Association. It's a national a national convening. They also have an international ones. I've never been to the international ones, but they have national convenings every year. And one, my first year was in Chicago, mm. and I love that city. It's a pretty city. Yeah, it's small, yeah. but it's a pretty whoa, city. Whoa, 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 whoa! Like, what do you mean small? I mean uh, compared. To- yeah, yeah, compared to New York, but I mean most most places are small compared to New York, but. Chicago's yeah. not small. Come on, come on. It's small. It's pretty small. Come on, buddy. <laughs> it's not. As, it's not as small as Seattle. <laughs> it's not, it was popping. I loved it. I loved it. I loved walking around mm. and everything like that. I loved the halal spots and stuff like that. It was kind of. It was kind of like going to Philly. Oh, really? And so I was just like, yeah, it was kind of like going to Philly when it came to that, like the Muslim population and stuff like that. Another yeah. place I want to go to is Detroit. I want to mm-hmm. go to Detroit. I've never been to Detroit yet. So I would love to come out to Chicago. So yeah, we'll see, I, I missed you at the <laughs> um, Muslim Arc Roundtable. Oh, are, yes, you gonna, are you going to get me that's right see. about missing the muslim <laughs> yeah you missed that art i black muslim roundtable uh-huh. i went to a horror show when it came to that i'm not talking about that i'm still tra- i'm still traumatized by all of that <laughs> and hopefully they'll have another one because we definitely do need another one of absolutely those. and i'll and i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna inshallah make really sure that i'm at the airport <laughs> <laughs> Like get up, let's go, let's go. <laughs> Forget it. Like go out of Kennedy, and so and we also had a couple of announcements which were really great. I held off on them, mm-hmm. and it were two things because we didn't want it to be something that's once. So inshallah, we're planning for future events, and also there's stuff that we're doing behind the scenes in the Muslims and uh, uh, Muslim Girls Read. So there are two things: the Muslim Author Award. Okay. So that's going to be a uh, an inclusive award. Mm-hmm. Uh, that should be held. I believe we're going to be holding it in late fall, early winter of this year. Wow. Okay. And, yeah. And and also a short story contest. The Muslim Shine short story contest is for adult fiction. Okay. Because uh, adult fic- adult Muslim fiction is not appreciated enough. The broader the broader traditional publishing they really only look for. Uh, YA mm-hmm. or NA. NA means that the characters are under 25, 25 and under. Okay. Uh, and uh, children's books. So that's what they look for, mainly from Muslim authors. So you'll see a lot of times. So even with the publishers that were at the event, uh, a couple of times it was just like, well, I'm looking for children's books. I'm looking for children's books. Children's book authors like mm-hmm. that. First of all, this, 
There were a lot of adult. I would have to say there were more adult fiction authors or uh, 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 Muslim authors who did both. So like Umjawaria, because she writes children's books right. and she writes adult fiction. So if they didn't do both like that type of thing, then it was adult fiction authors. So I don't know. That's why I'm like, you need to come. Let's talk to this person over here. Right. Because she's the one to talk to. Like Muslim writers and publishers, publishers, they want to talk to. So we wanted to have this short story contest to show the appreciation for adult fiction authors as well. It's inclusive mm-hmm. as well. So you have to be a black Muslim author to enter the contest. And so we have already gotten some sponsors. We're going to be looking for more sponsors. Mm-hmm. So it's NBA Muslims, Muslim Girl Reads, the Black Blue Podcast, and Right Type Editorial Services are sponsoring so far. We're still going to be looking for more sponsors as well. And so we're going to be collecting short stories and the winner will get will get a prize. So those were the two announcements that we made as well. Those are those are big those are big, big announcements, and I can't wait to see how those pan out. But let me ask this, because you mentioned Umjawari again and got me to thinking about this wonderful panel that's assembled, uh, that you're moderating, and the, I guess, the intent to show how um, black Muslim authorship, that it, it comes out of a tradition, uh, a literary tradition of the African-American community uh, in general, right? So when I think about the African-American community, uh, and I think as most folks, we think about the importance of our religious institutions, right? Regardless of, you know, Islam or Christ, uh, Christianity, uh, that the church has had a has had a big part in the cohesiveness and the advancement of, uh, of black folks in America. And the backbone of the church has always been black women. Right. That's that's mm-hmm. been who have who have pushed um, who have pushed the, the organizations uh, forward, kept it standing up. So I say all of that to say this. How important is it now that we have moving forward today uh, where we are visibly, uh, you know, we have I don't want to say we as in everybody. Right. But we can say in America that we're Muslim. Right. We can be visibly Muslim. Um how important how important is it for to have a group of black muslim women authors being the voices of the communities that have historically been supported and held up by women i think that the fact that it was black muslim women on this panel is business as usual mm. when it comes to african american culture yeah Black Muslim women are at the cornerstone of the church and the mosque. There are masjids today that would not be standing if it wasn't for the work of black Muslim women. The Nation of Islam would have died out a long time ago if it wasn't for the work of Sister Clara Muhammad and black Muslim women. As a matter of fact, Sister Clara Muhammad is the originator of Islamic education in the United States. Mm -hmm. So while we have... Uh, alhamdulillah, Muslim schools all over the country. The foundations of that is with the work of Sister Clara Muhammad. So the fact that we had this historic event, and it is historic because it is the country's foundational historical Muslim asserting 
their cultural identity at the intersections of their faith and their race. Mm. And it is a very, very uh, phenomenal and rich heritage that we have. And, you know, it's, it's, it's during the, the convening, Suhaib Webb said, um, Muslim history in, the, in America is, it, 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 it rolls through African-American Muslim history. We've got a foundation of, of, of Muslim Islamic history in the United States. So we need, people need to appreciate that more. And so the fact that it's black Muslim women that were, that were organized this and that were on the panel and, other, and black Muslim men participated as well, but the, the, to have the organizers and the ones that are sitting there and discussing authorship and publishing and everything like that be black Muslim women, it's just par for the course. That's what black women do. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we do. We, we build the platforms that everyone else can uh, then expand upon. I mean, if you look at Mar- the work of Margaret Aziza, yeah. Okay, and the Muslim Anti-Racism Collaborative. Those educational conversations about about anti-racism and intersections of race and 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 faith and everything like that, and intercultural racism between Muslims and this and the need for training and producing training so that Muslims can start to purge this, the, the disease of racism out of their spaces. That started with her. She's the one that developed all things like that that people are now starting to utilize. So black Muslim women uh, doing this work, we've always been doing this work, and this is just another example of how we do this work and how we want our, our ummah. And you cannot progress in this society in the United States without black Muslims. And so we need these spaces so that we can coalesce and grow. Mm-hmm. It's very, very necessary. Mm. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> so as, uh, as there is a lot of excitement around it, and rightfully so, uh, and moving forward, looking for the next uh, events, and you've mentioned, you know, you've, you've given some really great announcements with the short stories, uh, the Muslim Author uh, Awards. Um, I think, yeah, I can't wait to see how these things uh, develop. But I want to yeah. go back to... Oh, oh, wait, wait, there's one more thing. I'm sorry. Okay, no problem. Go, just, go ahead. You mentioned the short story, the Muslim Author Awards. Okay, so now there's also a youth poetry contest that we're doing with Jessica Cares right. as well. So there's going to be a youth poetry. So there's a short story contest, the Muslim Author Awards, and the youth poetry contest as well. So there's a lot of stuff going on. <laughs> Indeed. There's a lot of stuff going on. Indeed, indeed. So, you know what? I think this is a good time for us to take a quick break. Uh, and when we mm-hmm. come back, I want to get into uh, doing, doing a little bit of Twitter uh, monitoring. And there was a really interesting tweet and meme that you were that you were tagged in. Uh, and I'm going to wait until we come back to, to say exactly what it is. But we want to get into that. Take So we'll take a short break and we'll come back and we'll get into that. So, uh, folks, don't go anywhere. This is Radio Islam. We're on WCEV 1450 AM. We'll be back in a minute. Sweet strawberry icing. 
You're in goodwill, and just past that vintage denim jacket you spot, miniature donut earrings. You lean in. Ah, that's the scent of shopping success. Because at Goodwill, every item you buy funds local job training and more. So bring home those donut earrings and bring home so much good to your community. Goodwill. Bring good home. Brought to you by Goodwill and the Ad Council. The Syrian Community Network, with offices nationwide, serves its Chicago area clients from its Northside location, located at 5439 North Broadway. They provide housing, social services, education, basic human needs, and food security. The Syrian Community Network has Arabic-speaking staff and is a partner organization of the Illinois Coalition for Immigrant and Refugee Rights. You can get more info by calling area code 872 806-0141 that's area code 872-806-0141 or by visiting their website at syriancommunitynetwork.org As an 18 year old I let my mistakes kind of take over my life I was .5 credits away from completing high school and I didn't do it 10 years later at age 28 Jackie finished her high school diploma. When I found out that I was pregnant, I know that I had to do something for myself if I wanted to make her a better person and provide a better life for her. My family never stopped pushing for me to be better because they knew what I could become and who I could become as a person. My support team is amazing. The educational director, my sister, and even my seven-year-old daughter has just been more than the support that I could ask for. I've been given an opportunity, and I'm just thankful for it. No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. That's finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. Dave, what are you doing? Just sending a gift to Dave2037. Who? Me in the future. I save a little money from every paycheck for Dave 2037 so he can buy anti-gravity boots or a hologram Doberman. What are you getting Steve 2037? Steve 2037 will be just fine. Well, okay, but don't expect to borrow my anti-gravity boots. Save something for the future. Put away a few bucks, feel like a million bucks. For free ways to save, go to feedthepig.org. That's feedthepig.org. This message brought to you by the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants and the Ad Council. Welcome back. Welcome back to Radio Islam. This is your host, Tariq el and we're broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM, and we're streaming at WCEV1450.com. Keep up with us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You'll find us at Radio Islam USA, and also take a moment to subscribe to the podcast. That way, if you miss the live stream, you miss the AM broadcast, you can listen, you can listen at your leisure. And we are on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, and TuneIn. You'll find us at Radio Islam USA. Our guest is Radio Islam culture contributor Layla Abdullah Poulos, uh, best-selling author of the interracial romance novel My Way to You, and a bunch of other stuff. Uh, <laughs> and and I and I listed most of it. And I still got one thing. I still left off at least one thing uh, to which she added on to. Um, earlier so go back to the beginning <laughs> and you'll get that so uh as i said i wanted to get into 
a little bit of Twitter monitoring. Matter of fact, I, matter of fact, I actually think I saw this on Instagram first. So Khalil Ismail, um, I think this is a meme attributed <laughs> to him, right? So you got turned into a yeah. meme. <laughs> Tell us about this meme. Well, Khalil Ismail, as you know, he is just really a uh, renaissance creator, <laughs> mm-hmm. like a black Leonardo. Yeah. <laughs> and he does everything, produce, write, screenwrite. So he, he, he was nice enough to take pictures at the Black Muslim Authors. And so there's this picture of me, and I can't even remember what I was saying at the time. And so now to me... And at the top, it's me kind of like looking at people with my hands up because I'm a New Yorker, so I talk with my hands. <laughs> <laughs> and it says at the top, I'm, I'm going to tell you one more time because I say I'm a, a lot. Okay. Yes, yeah. I have degree after degree, but, you know, I code switch. Right. <laughs> black, black, Muslim are, black Muslims are not all converts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that just kind of blew up. And so I just blew up on Instagram and Twitter and, and Facebook and everything like that because a lot of people connected to it because there's this false assumption that uh, – and specifically African-American Muslims because there are black immigrant Muslims who make the same assumption about African-American Muslims. So African-American Muslims are consistently approached with two things, mm-hmm. okay – uh, this assumption that they're converts, and there are families of uh, black Muslim families that are three, four, five generations in, and also from the where you originally from. So right. I did the where you from, where you originally from before, but this one was really about this the frustration that a lot of black African American Muslims feel with about this assumption that they're automatically converts. Not that there's anything wrong with being a convert, mm-hmm. okay, but that's just not what they are. And so, so often, black people in general, African Americans in general, have to consistently deal with uh, people placing labels and, and assumptions and stereotypes on them. So this just becomes another one. And so it, it does that and is also this inference that being a convert you're you're not as legitimate a Muslim. Your dedication and observance, notwithstanding, that doesn't seem to matter. Mm-hmm. The fact that you're a convert, which the Sahabiat were converts. That's right. <laughs> it's kind of the, the yeah. strongest, the best example of Muslims in our faith, in our deen, were converts. Right. <laughs> Kind of weird, you know. We go to and we and we, and we look at their lives and we try to implement the lives of converts. So it's but for some reason in this culture, when it comes to I think conversion converts in general, because my husband faces it too, and he's not African American, he's not black, right? And but it's just like African American Muslims. You first of all, there's this desire to alienate African American Muslims from their from the faith period, from the dean period. It's like Donna Austin said, you know, 20, 30 years ago, when you thought of Muslims, you thought of black people. Right. Okay, you thought of African Americans. Mm-hmm. And now it seems to have been like this, this campaign to alienate African Americans from Muslimness as well. So by automatically just 
pressing this convert label onto all African-American Muslims. It's an attempt to delegitimize uh, African-American Muslims and African-American Muslim culture as well, mm-hmm. which this like events like the Black Muslim Office is very much a pushback against that. So that the, the meme resonated with a who have to experience that. Mm. Do you think that there is any relationship between the uh, between the size of the Muslim community with relation to the United States population? We, we're basically one percent of the population. So when you've mm-hmm. you got a minority uh, population, then representation uh, or those who are looked at as the voices of right speaking for that community um maybe there's a bit of i don't want to i don't want to oversimplify and say it's just a matter of of power um mm-hmm. but i think that's really what's sticking with sticking with with me right now that because it's a minority and because there there's a there's a limited number of uh of spaces i think that folks may feel that are at the uh, at the table that it becomes that much more important to control who's at the table. Mm. Well, I think that um, that may play a part of it. I think there's a lot of different layers to it. I think the primary layer is that a lot of non-black Muslim and black immigrant Muslim populations are very anti-African American Muslim. Mm -hmm. Uh, There is a lot of bias and discrimination in Muslim spaces against African-American Muslims in particular. But there's also a little bit of a cultural divide. I mean, as members of the African-American tradition and its totality, you know, we don't necessarily garner a place at the table. We don't seek it at that level. Mm -hmm. Uh, We are very much, you know, uh, kind of like Tulsa, Oklahoma, Uh, where we're going to develop our own stuff and we're going to develop our own thing and we're going to develop our own platform. And even like that's reflective in the writing. I mean, uh, a lot of black Muslim authorship, they, when you read it, their assertion about themselves and their culture and the faith, the Dean Mm -hmm. is very much from more of a strong, this is who I am, this is who we are platform, as opposed to trying to explain ourselves for acceptance. So it's not that, you know, uh, there's a couple of things at play here. There's this tradition of creating these spaces and platforms and then reaching and then then looking out into the broader culture and asserting our positions that way, which was what what we've been doing since the Black Muslim Movement. Mm-hmm. Okay, but then there's this other subculture of wanting to be and, and, and okay, all right, Layla, you're gonna get more DMs, but okay, being as <laughs> as close to proximity of whiteness as you possibly can be, and also wanting acceptance from the broader cult, broader white culture, because honestly. They're not thinking about they're not thinking about black non-Muslims or black uh, uh, Latinos or any uh, uh, brown Latinos or anything like that. They're thinking about white people, okay, and getting and getting their acceptance. Which one day we have to go into this whole idea because I did do a post about the hijabi stereotype. We're gonna have to discuss that. Oh one yeah, day. yeah. 
but <laughs> it's just so black Muslims are not necessarily looking for that. So there's this erasure that takes place. And so when we turn around and we start to talk about that erasure mm-hmm. that's taking place, you know, that's when we get a uh, we end up getting a lot of aggression. So it, we're still navigating those things. Right. And so w- when I when I started NBA Muslim, it was as a cultural platform to highlight specific cultures. Okay, and so this idea that I think that ultimately a lot of Black Muslims do not set right with the idea that it is the broader white culture that defines us and validates us. That doesn't mean you get to erase us. Right. Right. <laughs> you didn't get to erase us, but we're not ne- all necessarily looking for that. Okay. Mm. And and the majority, honestly, from my observations, the majority of non-black and white Muslim culture is looking for exactly that. I mean, you have uh, white Muslims that are not down for it either, like uh, uh, Omar. Oh, sure. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> but. <laughs> You know, it's this idea, and so then they set these things up. And so you'll see it. You'll see articles where they'll be like, oh, well, Muslims are like this, which, which they really mean uh, a, a, a certain segment of Arab, Middle Eastern or, or, or South Asian Muslim population, and they try to set that as a platform for all Muslim culture. That's not going to happen in the United States. But that, you know what? Uh, African-American was going to sit right, sit for that. Black Muslims aren't going to for that but you know what doesn't that that what what that does though i mean because i I think this takes us off into um understandings of islamophobia as you know Mm. uh, as it's you know as it's lived today uh and in big part it is because the diversity of the uh of the ummah the diversity of the muslim population Mm -hmm. in the united states has not been accurately represented and mm-hmm. it's moved away from from being a religion of, uh, you know, ascribed to its to its native population, you know, uh, uh, vis-a-vis African-Americans um, to one that is now foreign for a lot of people. So mm-hmm. uh, I think a lot of this, <clears throat> well, at least some of it. Right. Not all of it. But there's there is, of course, the the, the system apparatus itself, uh, the, the media and, and how. Uh, we're how we are covered, how we're represented, but it's also by our own uh, through our own compl- uh, complicity, where mm. possibly if if we're just if we're going to speak about African American Muslims, um, well, there's not as much of a there's not a push for, for you know for the light, um, and that's not always the case, right? I, I don't make a I don't make a tremendously broad um, statement like that. Uh, because we could also say that that also might apply to other communities, other segments of the com- uh, other community. But it, it it feels like there is a certain amount of complicity that uh, that it, that exists within the Muslim community itself in allowing for mm-hmm. a very myopic view of the community to be presented. Well, it, there's a duality, because when you look at the broader culture, I mean, Western Eurocentric culture, which is at the underpinnings of American culture, is very oppositional and very binary. It's like an oppositional binary that exists. So when it comes to race, there's those that binary of blackness and whiteness, and everyone kind of 
like I've always said, are finding their way in between. Some people, it's just obvious, and some people, it's not so much. So when it comes to Muslims, uh, the the dominant culture will want to just kind of create this oversimplistic us versus them type of phenotype right. of Muslims. And so uh, the unfortunate thing is that that's typical. That's not surprising, and that's expected. The unfortunate thing is, is that a lot of non-Black Muslims cater to it because of the bias that exists. Uh, I mean, it, it exists on in every facet of American Muslim society, even among social justice organizations. Right. There's bias against Black Muslims and African American Muslims. And uh, so they feed into that. And because they want that proximity and acceptance of the dominant culture, of the dominant white culture in particular. Well, first, first of all, there's a lot of money in it. Mm-hmm. You know, that's how you're going to make your money is if you are something that the broader white culture wants to throw it, to give you. They want to give you that money. So there's, there's definitely some uh, financial gain in doing that. But, but there's also the, the, the implicit bias that exists against black skin. You know, and it, and that's not that's not something that uh, it's here, but it's not something that originates here. I mean, a lot of anti-black trees yeah. that exists as well. So it's really kind of like carried over here, and uh, there's a lot of complexity to it because uh, you know there's even a bias against African Americans in particular, with among black immigrants. So mm-hmm. like so they feed into that as well. So. It's like if we knew better, if we did better, because we should definitely know better, because that's not the Islamic teachings at all. Right. We could do better, but there's a cost at doing it that way. There's a cost. You won't make white people happy anymore. And when you don't make white people happy anymore, they get aggressive and they get stingy with their money. Okay. Mm. Now, African-Americans know this, but they also know the other side. If it's making money, sooner or later, race is going to trump it. I mean, that's why they steal so much of African-American culture. It's ridiculous. You know, our, our, so many aspects of our culture is always co-opted by the dominant society. So we know that as well. But that's not, that's some, that comes from being a part of American culture for so long and having to deal with uh, whiteness, racism, bigotry, uh, for so long that we understand these things, and it's not something. So it's not something necessarily that uh, is understood by, by other sub. And a lot of them don't listen to us. So yeah, <laughs> this continues to be and a you, problem. And you know what? And I have to. I want to just add on to that. Uh, there will and there have always been um, those within who benefit from the from the maintenance of uh, the system of white mm-hmm. supremacy who benefit from uh from white privilege and those mm-hmm. and and those are specifically those folks who are going to be absolutely against anything that goes against this binary uh type of representation um of mm-hmm. I think of or, or introducing anything other than what we've been used to right uh white mm-hmm. is right and if you're not then you know you're wrong uh, but I think it's it's as important now, and, and I mentioned this, especially for those who may be listening for the first time, uh, to recognize that we also have 
and as we have always had, and whether or not they've been um, uh, with their intentions or their efforts have been documented uh, or shared or celebrated, they've always been white people of, of conscience, white people who recognize the uh, the cancer mm-hmm. that white supremacy is and who've lent their voices and in, in some cases, even their mm-hmm. lives going against that. Mm-hmm. So we talk about those white people who are going to be upset and who are pulling the strings and, and writing checks and all of that. We're talking about those people who benefit from the maintenance of an unjust system. All right. That's, that's specifically no, absolutely. Who, we're, who we're pointing out. And I only mentioned that. Just like I said, you may be tuning in for the first time, for the first time and think, you know, we're saying that this is a a problem blanket um, type of designation. And, and that's not the case. But there certainly is a mentality uh, and a value system that goes along with people who mm-hmm. defend the system, who perpetuate it and don't want to see America really be what what it actually is. And that is a pluralistic society. Um. And, and to really be based on to have an egalitarian uh, focus in the value system, which as Muslims is something that's supposed to be second nature to us. Well, that's a big challenge for Muslims, too, because I just was looking at I, on, on Facebook. There was a, an, a there's an event that's happening at I believe it's at Purdue. No, I'm not. No, no. But there was an event that was happening. It was like, oh, an egal- building an egalitarian society. I wish I had the thing. And it was all men. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm like, are you for real? <laughs> you're, talking, you're talking about equality and egalitarian society. How you have an egalitarian society? Your panel is all men. <laughs> <laughs> How does that even work? Y'all don't even y'all don't even build the culture the way that the women in the culture build the culture. Are you kidding me? Y'all are there. I'm sorry, honestly, honestly, mm-hmm. they're not even on the front lines. No one is on the front lines the way an obvious Muslim woman is. This is <laughs> okay? true. That's like out there right. on the front lines. <laughs> it's like, and you don't even have one woman. And you're ta- and you're gonna sit up there and pontificate. I was just like, you know, we have those challenges too. It's, it it is really about privilege. It is real. It, it, it a lot of it is about protecting privileges that you have, but you know that's a frailty of the human heart. You know, it becomes easy. I mean, that's what Pharaoh did with his people. He separated them and he privileged some over the others. So when Musa came along, a lot of people hated him just based on the fact that he was not. It was going to take their slaves away. We're going to take their privileges away. There were people among there were people among the children that didn't like him. That didn't like what he was doing. Yeah. So it's definitely something that is a human frailty. So you're going to see that in in the culture as well. You know, when you're privileged, you can definitely be blinded by that privilege. And uh, white supremacist societies cannot be maintained unless even people among the oppressed mm-hmm. are privileged. You know, if everyone of, among the oppressed didn't had no privileges at all, mm-hmm. the uprising would be even worse. But of course you're going to some among the uh, oppressed and you're going to privilege them as well. And as you see more and more, which is a great thing, you know, that's a great thing that there's interracial relationships, but one of the effects of the interracial relationship is the insulating of members of a, a, 
oppressed society within the privileged society. So those members end up turning around looking at their own people and being ashamed of them, disliking them, internalizing their racism or their bias against them. So you see that more and more. So it's just, it is really definitely a human frailty. Mm. Well, I think that is a great way for us to, to close out. And I've got to say that with the existence of that, uh, of that frailty, the one thing that we can really pray for and hope for is that we have the sincerity to allow ourselves to receive um, honest critique, right? To pull our coat, mm-hmm. to let us know where we need to do better, where we fall to that. So, um, yeah, great, great point. Great point. Uh, well, Sister Layla, it is always a pleasure talking to you. I'm looking forward to uh, our next conversation and keep us abreast of the developments uh, with uh, NBA Muslims and all this great stuff, the poetry and the short stories and uh, just any other gatherings. Just, yeah, definitely keep us connected. Let us know. So, uh, and, and, and and let's get it to Chicago. Let's work on that. Let's get it to Chicago. Let's get okay. to Chicago? Well, you know how I am, brother. You know how I am. Okay? You know I'm ready to roll with stuff. Okay? Be, be here next week. <laughs> do it that quick. I do it that quick. Inshallah. <laughs> Allah, by, by grace of Allah, as long as Allah can do it. Inshallah. I'll do it, inshallah. Inshallah. All right. As-salamu That is Radio Islam culture contributor Layla Abdullah-Pulos. Uh, get her book. Get her book. Um, My Way to You. It is a phenomenal read. Again, you can go to Amazon and get it. Okay, it is time for us to get moving. We thank you for joining us. We thank our engineers over at WCEB 1450 for making sure we come through loud and clear. I'm your host and producer, Tariq Kalamine. Our executive producer is Abdul Malik Mujahid, and we remind you that the views expressed by the host and our guest are theirs and not to be taken as a representation of Sound Vision Foundation. And with that, we leave you as we greeted you. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Thank you.